Tonight uh, is a lesson in prayer. How apt for a prayer meeting. A lesson in prayer. So we'll, we'll read that now. Psalm 5. Psalm 5. A prayer for guidance. It's entitled in our Bibles. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him as with a shield. So we come then to another psalm of David. Uh, as I said, Phil took us through Psalm 4 last time. We found David in Psalm 4 amidst trial, didn't we? We learned a little bit about David running to God about David recounting God's goodness and about David needing to remind himself of his identity in the Lord. Well, we find David uh, once again in a time of trial. Now, some of you uh, may remember, I couldn't remember how many years ago uh, this was, actually, probably six, seven, eight years ago, uh, we had a prayer meeting out the back and Phil was actually leading it. It's when we had the Tuesday prayer meetings out the back. Phil had lots of sheets of paper all over the floor about the titles of God. I don't know if some of you remember that. Um, it stuck with me. Uh, and actually, this uh, tonight, uh, this psalm reminds me of what we were thinking about then, because it's what David does in his prayer. He reminds himself about his great God and about his character. It's obviously penned at a time then when people who didn't like David were saying uh, nasty things, evil things probably still at the time of Absalom's uh, rebellion, his son's uh, rebellion, seeking to kill him. Uh, do you remember um, in earlier Psalms, I think it was one or two or both, um, we saw that the anointed one's enemies, that being David, the anointed one's enemies are God's enemies too. Well, this comes up here again in Psalm 5. This is all by just way of introduction to Psalm 5, and then we have four points. Um, I don't know if some of you, uh, if all of you were here or some of you remember when Adam was here a few weeks ago, he preached on the book of Habakkuk, all three chapters in one sermon. Well, this psalm has some similarities, actually, to what we heard about Habakkuk, mainly because both could be categorised as showing strong faith in difficult situations. Um, 
you may remember that a while ago when we looked at Psalm 1, we saw two distinct groups of people. Do you remember? They were the righteous and the wicked. We come back to that theme here, as we did in Psalm 4. Uh, this psalm has the same. It has blessing being sought for the righteous and punishment for the wicked. So we're setting the scene here about the psalm that we've just read. Uh, in Psalm 4, we um, saw David seeking the repentance of the rebels. He was trying to actually bring them back, the rebels. Things have moved on a little bit in Psalm 5. I don't know if you've cottoned on to that yet. David is actually praying against the rebels now. Well, this, this probably suggests there has been some time passed between these two Psalms. Uh, and David's possibly given up of hope of reconciliation now. So we've gone from Psalm 4, turn from your evil ways. Psalm 5, Lord, pronounce judgment on them. Uh, I, was, I, was, I, I owe a massive, massive uh, gratitude to uh, two people's um, books in particular for helping with this psalm series, Philip Eveson and Dale Ralph Davis. Philip Eveson uh, points out that in praying for his people here, David once again pictures Christ for us. We read in the New Testament about Christ also withdrawing and praying in the morning. So that's very quickly by way of introduction to Psalm 5 to set the scene a little bit in comparison to Psalm 4 and where we've come from. So we have four points uh, just briefly to go through um, uh, tonight. Four points from Psalm 5. First of all, a bold, confident appeal. A bold, <coughs> confident appeal. This is in verses 1 to 3. Now, first of all, notice the obvious. David knows where, or more specifically, whom to go to. David prays to his king, to Yahweh, showing that he knew God was a promise keeper. He used the promise keeping name of God. Now I say obviously, the, notice the obvious, I must admit that to my shame it's not always my first reaction to pray in a situation that needs it. David did, David knew where to go to. And in using this title, David is actually thinking of the God of Exodus 3, the God who said to Moses from a burning bush, I have seen my people's troubles. I haven't forgotten my promise to Abraham. I will rescue them. Amazing, isn't it? That's who David is, uh, knows he is coming to this God who he knows before has kept his promise. He comes to Yahweh. Then we come to what David did in his prayer. Still under this first point of a bold, confident appeal. Did you notice that David prays with both clear words and murmurings? Notice the word meditation there uh, in verse 1, which actually belongs to a word family that suggests mutterings or sighs, sighing. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, Perhaps, I'm sure most, most of us, sometimes we can all identify with that. I think sometimes we feel like all we can manage in a time where we just can't find the words is a sigh, almost, towards God. When we just pause and meditate on him, and we just mutter almost. But we notice here that David prays with both murmurings, uh, meditation, and clear words. Notice as well, I tried to draw it out in the way that I read the psalm. Notice that David approaches the Lord as both king and God. In verse 2. So he prays to, to um, him as king. David acknowledges that his own kingship is only ever and has only ever and will only ever be under the true king and that that king alone is sovereign. So he prays to God as king. 
but he prays to him as God. And that's because David knows that his Lord, in capitals, can be approached and is approachable. A God who delights to hear from his children. David knows his God. He knows the one to whom he's coming and he knows how to come. Did you notice the word direct in verse 3? Other translations um, actually change that word and say, I will set in order my requests. That's actually perhaps a little bit more helpful to understand what we believe David is uh, driving out there. Uh, The language used is actually that of Leviticus 1 regarding the careful and precise placing of the altar wood and the meat which was done in very careful order. This word direct has tones of that. David's talking about precise and careful um, setting in order his requests. Now that's really important because that shows that David prepared his prayer. He didn't come lightly. He didn't come hastily or even rushing. First thing in the morning, David settled himself to do real business with God. He prepared for prayer. He prepared his prayer. Now, that's not to say that arrow prayers, if I can use that word, uh, that we all pray and need to pray at times. That's not to say that arrow prayers are wrong, of course, but it does show us that a pattern of prepared prayerfulness, I knew I was going to struggle with that the pattern of prepared prayerfulness is required. I ask you at this point, are you feeling challenged? Because I was when I got to that point. So the pattern of prepared prayerfulness. Now we can't leave verse three though without looking at the last line. And I will look up. Isn't that lovely? It seems to me like David is saying, I'll be looking up Lord, because I trust you to hear me. What confidence David had as he approaches God here. This is why this is a tutorial in prayer or a lesson in prayer. So that's the first point, a bold, confident appeal. Secondly, confidence in who God is. Confidence in who God is. This is verses four to six. Why is David able to be bold and confident in verses one to three? Well, it's because he knows his God. And the first word for, in verse four, F-O-R, the first word for is critical to help us understand that. Think of it as a because. So he, re- he prays the first three verses and then we come to verse four. Because, imagine it like this. I will pray to you, God. I will prepare myself to do so. And I will look to you for an answer because. And then he goes on. In verse four. When he goes on, David says that he knows and believes that God is wholly good. He knows God's character. He knows that this goodness is at complete odds with evil and the evil that is befalling David. Remember Habakkuk 1 verse 13. So because of these things, because of my confidence in you, because of you are my God and my King, I pray to you and I know who you are and I know that your goodness is at complete odds with the evil that befalls me. Verses five to six go on to list some of what was on David's mind 
um, because of what he was enduring. So they're specific, uh, specific evils that he was uh, enduring. Boastful people, workers of iniquity, liars and killers. <coughs> I just want to give a little quote at this point from someone, uh, J.A. Alexander. J.A. Alexander said this, Sin is not only opposed to God's will, but repugnant to his nature. By ceasing to hate it, he would cease to be holy, cease to be perfect, and cease to be God. Well, David knows this about the Almighty God, and that's why he knows he can pray to him about the evil that is all around him. Uh, Philip Eveson helpfully wrote that in one sense it is correct to talk about God hating the sin and loving the sinner, because this is what led the Godhead to plan the way of salvation. However, as these verses do tell us, they state that God does hate the sinner still who engages in such rebellious activities. I guess it helped me at that point to think of it like this. God loves the sinner, and that's why he made a way back to himself. But he will judge that sinner if they fail to repent, to return, and to kneel. Perfect love and perfect justice coming together. So under this heading, confidence in who God is, David has such faith in God's just punishment that he can pray for deliverance from these (coughs) evildoers. Just before I move on to the third point, I wanted to stop and pause for a second. What else does this mean for us? What else can we take from these verses? Well, by recounting God's character in our prayers, it means that we praise God as we do. And that is what reminded me of what, um, what Phil was doing with us years and years ago in the back room, when he was drawing our attention to God's character to help us to form our prayers, the one to whom we come, and that we should include that in our prayers to actually generate praise within us as we pray. So let's remember that, that by recounting God's character in our prayers, it means we are praising God as we do so. I hope that's helpful. Third point, make your request. So just in case you're struggling, stay with me. A bold, confident appeal. Then we had confidence in who God is. That took us up to verse 6. Now make your request. Verses 7 to 10. Make your request. Now, verse 7 actually... Uh, It was really interesting, isn't it? Can I read it again? But as for me, I will come into your house. In the multitude of your mercy, in fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Verse 7 is actually David drawing the distinction, isn't it, between himself and his enemies. But being very deliberately careful to attribute that difference to what? To God's gracious mercy. Did you notice that? As for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. David knows that his own sin would destroy him if God didn't show him compassion as he approached the presence of God. Verse 7, the second half of it, also shows an attitude of reverence. Once again, and we've seen that before in the Psalms, David's reverent uh, reverent approach uh, towards God. Um, I'm going to quote Dale Ralph Davis at this point because... um, I just think it's really good. Uh, so at this point, Dale Ralph Davis says this. What a combination we have here. In verse 7a, the first half, we meet the welcome, friendship and acceptance that grace extends. And yet at the end of verse 7, 
we, we, it, that reflects the majesty, the kingship, and trembling that fear knows. Glad welcome and trembling reverence together. That's how David comes in verse 7. And then verse 8, actually, um, really, I, I don't know if, uh, if, if you kind of... I didn't see it straight away when I read this. Verse 8 is, is amazing. David has prayed to God. He's recounted to himself what God's character is, the one to whom he's praying. Uh, he then draws the distinction between himself and his enemies, all because of God's mercy. You would think then at that point, right, David, it's time to pray now against your, these evildoers. What, we are, what are you asking God to do against them? No. In verse 8, notice that David doesn't jump straight to what he wants regarding his enemies. No, no. First of all, his petition is for God to help him to live as a faithful follower. I, mean, I don't know if you find that as astounding as I did, like in David's situation in particular, and maybe that's, you know, we don't find ourselves in quite that situation even perhaps, not, not that we don't find ourselves in terrible, difficult situations sometimes. But actually, David refrains from jumping straight in to do this against them, Lord, do this for me. No, Lord, help me, help me, please, to live as a faithful follower. David doesn't want his enemies to have any fodder against him. So he asks God to keep him faithful, to keep him from sinning, and to reveal his will to him. Even in the face then of murderous threats, David has such a view of God that he prays first for help to live the Christian life. Let us take note. Then in verses 9 to 10, David switches his petition to what he needs God to do with his enemies, what he would like God to do with his enemies. Now, verse 10 actually sounds really strong to us, I think, doesn't it? Pronounce them guilty, oh God. Um, but actually, all David is saying in verse 10 is, be holy, God. Show your holiness. Have your way. I fast forward to Psalm 98 for fear of the number of years it will take together. Let the sea roar and its fullness the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. David needed to pray against his enemies in order to be delivered. Think of how Haman needed to be dealt with in Esther, which we've been looking at recently. Think about how Pharaoh needed to be dealt with in the Red Sea. It's not wrong for David to pray uh, for God to be holy towards his enemies so that he could be delivered and God could be glorified. So that was make your request up to verse 10. Finally then, fourth point, fourth heading, delight in your God. Delight <coughs> in your God, verses 11 to 12. Delight in your God. Firstly, did you notice that David has actually grown in confidence as he has prayed? Did that come across to you at all? As he has prayed, David has become more confident. Now, it's perhaps subtle, but this is actually an exhortation to us, I believe, to pray even when we don't feel like it. The very act of speaking with God will do us good. Now, in verse 11, David talks several times about joy and rejoicing doesn't he how 
why in this situation can David use the word joy and rejoicing? I think it's three times in one verse. How? Why? Well, notice what the words are linked with in those sentences. It's because the joy and confidence comes from trusting in himself, in ourselves. No, in God comes from loving him, we read, from believing that he, he will defend us. That's where the joy and rejoicing that David is referring to is linked. Verse 12, I think, speaks for itself, doesn't it? (coughs) For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him as with a shield. I say it speaks for itself. I'm going to mention a few things about it. Um, Just notice the emphatic you. You, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him. This is a really personal prayer from David. This isn't a generic prayer to something or some. You, Lord, I pray to you. He knew exactly who God was and he knew God's character. The righteous, David asserts, are surrounded in, uh, when you read the, um, uh, the sort of original uh, text, um, surrounded in like a whole body shield. So um, the word there is surround him as with a shield. Um, I was listening to someone speak on this. And, and when you say that, you imagine as a child, I think, don't you? The shield that you hold or that you made out of cardboard with a little handle on the back. And it's kind of yay big and it might just about cover your face or your torso if you held it here. This is actually um, a shield like a force field, a whole body shield of God's favour. Uh, it's generally agreed that actually David is thinking about 1 Samuel 23 here. Um, when Saul so nearly caught up with David in his murderous anger and yet by chance not by chance Saul was called away to another matter it's also the same language of Psalm 3 verse 3 where David talks about the shield so David clearly knew from experience what that supernatural protective force filled shield if you like around him felt like now Small caveat. That's not to say that we have some sort of immortality in our flesh, um, uh, that we don't need to worry, um, that we should be cavalier in any way, uh, but actually that we should trust God to protect us because he is the only one who can protect us, should that be his will and his plan. So that was the fourth point, delight in your God. A few concluding thoughts under uh, under this subject then of a lesson or a tutorial in prayer. We saw in verses 1 to 2 that God is the one to whom we should turn. Sounds obvious, not always the first choice. Hold my hand up. Verse 2 said, to you I will pray. Can I just say for anyone here or listening or watching back later, for anyone who worries about what other people might think about your words when you pray, just remember that you aren't praying to them You're praying to God. That's the one to whom your prayer is directed. To you, I will pray, David said. Secondly, by way of conclusion, prepare your prayer. Prepare your heart. Prepare to do business with God. Thirdly, remember we must not forget to ask for leading in straight paths. That verse 8, which really did strike me. Remember that we mustn't forget in our prayers and in our needs to ask for leading in straight paths. And then finally, uh, 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 
An exhortation to all of us, myself included. Rest peacefully then in the sovereign, loving, all-powerful hands of the God who rules over this world. That's the confidence that David had and that's the model that we have to look at. And the same God that David knew as this shield is the same God that we have and the same God that we pray to, the same God we have confidence in, the same God that we can rely on this evening.